a wonderful Savior, and He's provided so many wonderful things for us. As mentioned this morning, we have a wonderful church that God has blessed us with, and uh, just, uh, of course, the church is the people, and so we just praise the Lord for all of His blessings. As we come to the summer, we always look forward to it because our Bible college students uh, come back, and uh, Alec is our intern this year, and so I wanted for his... uh, well, his first full Sunday for him to preach for us tonight. So, Alec, good to have you back. Why don't you come on up and uh, preach the word for us tonight? Thank you, Pastor. Now, let me go ahead and make sure I've got this on here. I got it on? Yeah, look at that. All right. Okay, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me real quick um, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse number 15. Um, I, I did want to mention... Um, you know, as Pastor said, I'm returning from Bible college, and I just want to thank you all so much for your prayers while I've been down there. Uh, and I want to thank uh, the church as a whole and Pastor uh, for um, just your, your prayers and for taking me on when I came up here um, over the summer. It's, I'm real excited to be back in, back in Oregon and back in this church. So we'll go ahead and we'll get started reading there. Uh, when you find the text in Mark 8, Mark 8, go ahead and stand with me if you can. Uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to start reading here in verse number 15. Just two verses real quick to start off. Mark 8, verses 15 through 17. The Bible says, And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not, sorry, perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Let's go ahead and open an order of prayer. Dear Lord God, I thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for this time that we have to be in your house this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you um, for your love and your kindness and your mercy toward us. I thank you for the gift of your Son who died on the cross to save us. Lord, I pray that you would just have your hand upon the service time. Um, Lord, that uh, you would just let the Holy Spirit move in, in, um, in everything that happens during this hour, God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, um, this passage here. It, many of you have probably read this passage on multiple occasions um, here in the Gospel of Mark. This is right after the feeding of the 4,000. And so leading up to this passage, uh, the disciples, they've, they've just seen a great miracle, again, in the feeding of the 4,000. Uh, and then they've seen Jesus rebuke uh, the Pharisees leading up to this point. And now here they are. They're, uh, they're sitting in a boat um, with Jesus, and he begins to try and, and teach them. And the, this teaching that he gives them, it seems to go kind of right over their head. And he, he calls them out on this. He says, you know, have ye your heart yet hardened? Um, and so this morning, I, or this evening, I, I suppose, I want to look real quickly um, at, at this portion of Scripture here. I want to take a look at uh, the hearts of the apostles. Uh, the title of tonight's lesson is, Have Ye Your Heart Yet Hardened? So, um, real quick background, I, I want to see... Not particularly background, but I want to look real quickly at the message that Jesus was originally trying to get across to these hard-hearted disciples of his. So, I'm going to read over the verse again. In uh, verse 15, it says, And he charged them, saying, Take heed, 
beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of the Herod. So, or of Herod, sorry. So the, the leaven that he's talking about here, and we'll, I'm going to get into this in just a second too. Leaven um, in this context is to be representative of, of, of evil, really. Um, and this is a, a common used kind of a metaphor where well, they'll, they'll talk about leaven. You know, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. All right, so it's to be representative uh, of evil. And so Jesus is talking here to his 12 apostles, and he says, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, we see he would mention the Pharisees, be, you know, saying, Avoid the Pharisees, because they, first off, they were unwilling to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, I mean, they, they had a really hard time with that. In fact, you look just two verses earlier, and they're asking him for a sign, saying, you know, hey, hey, give us a sign, basically, because they wanted him to prove that he was the Messiah, which he, he had already done. I mean, just before then, he fed 4,000 people. I feel like that's a pretty decent indicator that he's God. Um, so he had kind of done that, but here you have the kind of stiff-necked Pharisees uh, asking for a sign. And so we see Jesus is warning against them and kind of their, their unbelief. Um, and he also warns against the leaven of Herod. He warns against the leaven of Herod. So Herod here... Um, would be kind of a representative of, uh, of secular, secularism. Well, you know, and you see also in the literal context here that uh, Herod, uh, he was persecuting the Christians. I mean, he had John the Baptist beheaded. So, you know, Herod would persecute the Christians, and um, he also represented, it, represented that, that, that secularism, that, you know, Jesus didn't want to creep into the church. Pastor talked about it uh, this morning when he was talking uh, in Nehemiah and how, when they read the word of God, uh, you know, they, they realized that they weren't supposed to have the, the Moabites and the Ammonites um, uh, amongst them in the congregation. And so they, they quickly removed that. Well, kind of the same idea here is, you know, Jesus is trying to avoid secularism creeping into the congregation. So he, he tells them, he says, beware of the leaven uh, of the Pharisees and beware of the leaven uh, of Herod. Kind of beware of the evil, beware of the poison um, that you'll find in these two entities, right? And, and to focus kind of on leaven for a second, to give you a, a clearer picture, um, it, again, like I said, it's a really popular example. I'm sure all of you have read a million times um, where leaven is used in the Bible, but I found this example of it, and I thought it was pretty neat. And that was that uh, during the gold rush, back in the, you know, 1849, you have the 49ers, um, and, and you have the gold rush, and they would make this sourdough bread. And so when they made this sourdough bread, what they would do um, is they would take the dough, they would take a, a very small piece of the dough from the previous batch, and they would mix that in with the new clump of dough because it would help it to ferment faster if they did it like that. Because it, it had already gone through the process, and so once, once you put it in uh, with the new batch of dough, it would speed up that process with the whole batch of dough. It wouldn't just be, you know, you have... Uh, you know, most of a batch of dough, 99% is not fermented, and you got this 1% that tastes like sourdough. Uh, that wasn't quite how it worked. It, it would speed up the whole process for the whole clump of dough. And I feel like that paints a really good picture of kind of what Jesus was getting at with this idea of leaven here, that he, he wants us to avoid uh, um, these false teachings, these ideas of, of secularism and denying the deity of Christ, um, because once that get, gets in, you know, it, one, it's hard to separate out, and two, it, it spreads very quickly, uh, almost as a, a cancer. 
Um, and so Jesus is painting this picture to these disciples, but they really have a hard time understanding it. Their hearts, as he'll mention in verse 17, their hearts were hardened. Uh, so today I want to look real quickly at some indicators um, of a hard heart. And then I want to look at the remedy that we have in the Word of God for overcoming a hard heart. So first, uh, the indicators of a hard heart, and I feel like uh, the Pharisees, not the Pharisees, the disciples, the 12 apostles, give us a pretty good idea of this here. You look at the hard hearts of the disciples, the disciples had hardened their hearts, number one, to the miracles of Jesus, to the miracles of Jesus. Well, if you look with me, um, and I'm going to read verses 20 and 21, of chapter 8, the Bible says, And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? And then I'm going to read um, over in chapter 6, just a page or two turn over. Um, chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 50 through 52. The Bible says, For they all saw him and were troubled, and immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Verse 51, And he went up unto them into the ship. And the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. Verse number 52, this one I really want us to focus on here. It says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. You know, as it's made very clear um, in both of these portions of Scripture, the disciples had let their hearts become hard to the miracles uh, of Jesus. They, they have the God-man standing in front of them. He, he's this perfect union of 100% God and 100% man. Um, and he, you know, he, he's feeding these 4,000, and their, their response, they're kind of generally uninterested. Uh, and Jesus calls them out on it. He, say, you know, he, he tells them that their heart is hardened. They weren't particularly amazed by his miracles. Instead, they let their flesh take the joy of these miracles from them. I believe that the first reason for this would likely be that they were tired. Uh, you know, number one, the disciples were exhausted. You look in uh, again in chapter 6, and I'm going to read verses 30 through 31. It says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest for a while. So, so the disciples, they go up to Jesus, and they tell him, they say, Lord, we've been, we've been doing all these uh, works for you, and we've been out, and we've been working hard, and we've been laboring for the harvest. And so Jesus says, all right, you know, you guys, you guys have done a good job. Let's go ahead. Let's, let's take five. Let's take a break. Um, you know, go separate yourself into a desert place and rest a while. And then the rest of that verse says, for, they were, uh, for there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. So it, it expounds in that verse. It says that they had no leisure so much as to eat. So not only were, were they exhausted, but it kind of sounds like they might have been a little hangry too, which is never a good thing. They had no time even to eat. They, they were exhausted. They were constantly going, going um, as, they, as they taught and as they did these things for Jesus. And so he tells them to go rest. Well, you know, the 12 apostles... They're, they were human just like us. Just like anybody else in this room, they got tired. Um, they were constantly going, going, going as they followed Jesus, and it began to wear on them 
just like it would anybody in this room. And I find it really interesting, too. Um, you look, you think about the audience of the Gospel of Mark. Think about the audience of the Gospel of Mark. So the Synoptic Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were all written kind of to a specific audience. And then you have the Gospel of John, which was written to everybody. All right, so uh, the, the book of Matthew that was kind of written to, to the Jews, to the Hebrews. Um, we notice, you know, Matthew himself, he was, uh, he was a Jew, and he makes a lot of references to Messianic prophecies, prophecies of Jesus as the Messiah, and he uh, brings up the law, and he'll quote a lot of Old Testament scripture. Um, and then you look at Luke. He was kind of, his gospel was written to the Greeks, to those who were educated, the philosophers. And it's reflected again um, in his writing, as he, he comes on uh, very educated, um, he's very detail-oriented in all of his writing, uh, and he's, you know, he expounds upon every little detail and clarifies it, and it sounds very educated. And then you come to Mark. So this Gospel of Mark that we're reading out of today, um, this would be kind of aimed at, at the Romans. All right, this would be aimed at, at the servants, at the Romans. And the idea kind of that, that would resonate with the Romans would be this idea of someone who was a hard worker and someone who was a, a good servant, a hardworking servant. So it, it shows Jesus throughout this whole book as this person who is constantly going, going, going. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. You read the book and, and you'll notice a lot that it says the word and a lot. It says and and Jesus did this, and Jesus went there, and Jesus performed that miracle, and Jesus healed this person, and Jesus um, rebuked these Pharisees, and, 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 and. It says that word a lot. Um, it, I don't know why, it just kind of jumped out at me one day. I noticed that the book of Mark says, and, a lot. And uh, you read through it, and it makes sense, because Mark is trying to portray Jesus as this man who was a hard worker, and as this man who was a, a faithful servant. Right. And so in this book of Mark, we have here, you know, just in the book of Mark, you have uh, recorded 18 miracles. Needless to say, the disciples were constantly going. They were they were constantly moving. They were uh, constantly following Jesus as he went out. And this book of Mark actually makes that very clear um, that they lived a very busy life. You know, a lot of times uh, we'll, we'll do the same thing where things get busy. And we get tired and we say, well, I just need to go rest. And sometimes if we don't get our rest, which we'll kind of see in just a couple verses here, um, th plans change. Plans change often, right? And we'll see that here with the disciples too, that plans change. And oftentimes, you know, we see the disciples, they may have allowed this to harden their hearts. And oftentimes we'll do the same thing where, you know, we don't get our rest or we're constantly going, going, going. And it seems that there's never a stop and we seem that we never have time to rest and we're always doing this or helping that person. We're always being spent. Now, it, it's a good thing. It's, it's good to be spent, but we do have to be careful that you don't let your heart become bitter from that. It, you know, all, all of us have been to that point maybe where uh, we've kind of let that bitterness creep in from not having time to relax. Well, and, and a good way to avoid that um, would be really just keeping strong your relationship with God, of course, uh, but it's something to be careful of. And we see the disciples fall victim to it here. The disciples were exhausted, and they let this start to harden their heart. Next, you notice that Jesus' miracles were expected. The disciples, they were exhausted, and Jesus' miracles, they were expected. In Mark 6, and I'm going to read verse 52 again. I know we already read it. 
Um, but I'd like to read it again. It says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. I feel like if there is one verse that really paints to me this picture of uh, so many miracles that they've stopped considering them, I feel like it's this verse right here. You know, and it's right in the middle of, well, you know, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Jesus had just walked on water, and the disciples were amazed by that. Don't get me wrong, they were amazed. And, you know, what manner of man is this? Uh, well, actually, that's a different miracle. Never mind. But um, point being, he, he walked on water, and then, you know, he's going to feed 4,000 in just, just a couple chapters here. Uh, but it says in verse number 52 that they considered not the miracle of the loaves. For their heart was hardened. Like I had said early, there's 18 recorded miracles in the book of Mark. And, you know, if you read in, in the Gospel of John, I believe it's uh, chapter 21, 25, verse 25. Um, it's, it's that verse right there where it talks about how John says, you know, that if... They had recorded, and I'm, I'm completely paraphrasing this, but basically if they had recorded all the miracles that Jesus did during his time on earth, um, it says that there would be so many that not even, not even the world could contain all the books that would have to be written about the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus did so many miracles during his time on earth that not even the whole earth could contain uh, a record of how many miracles Jesus did while he was here. And I, I think that's interesting well, first of all, because you still have so many people that doubted while well, he was on this earth that he was the Messiah. I don't understand how you could have that happening and, and, and doubt. Nonetheless, then you have the disciples here. They're, they're seeing these miracles constantly, you know, uh, one after another. And they were exhausted. And, and these miracles, they started to become almost expected. They, they started to kind of lose their magic. Uh, you know, if the whole world could not contain the miracles he performed, well, that's a, that's a lot of miracles, and it probably had just started to become um, just part of everyday life for the 12 apostles. A lot of the time, you know, the apostles, they, they let the little things kind of start to slip by them. Uh, they, they let the little miracles, not that there really is such thing as a little miracle, but they started to let things go by without amazement. A lot of times we'll do the same thing where, you know, we, we forget about the little ways that God's provided for us. We forget about the little things that he's doing right now. I mean, even so little is the fact that we're all in this room breathing right now is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that the world is not in complete, well, relatively not in complete chaos right now is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that he, he holds the world in space and that we rotate around the sun in such a way that life, can, life can, uh, can grow here on earth is a miracle in and of itself. And so often we'll dismiss that just because it's always there. It never changes. It, it's like your heart. You know, your heart is the hardest working muscle in your whole body, body because it's always going. It's always moving. You don't just, you know, you don't go to sleep and say, well... I hope my heart doesn't go to sleep while I'm asleep. You just count on it, keep them pumping while you're, while you're asleep, right? You know, and, and that may be different for some of us in here, but for the vast majority of us, we just count on that heart to keep ticking while we're sleeping. We count on it to keep ticking when we're out doing our sports or going on a jog, whatever it may be. And to these disciples, it, it would appear as if Jesus' miracles had become commonplace to them and they started to almost ignore it. And if, if, we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. 
with, with the little miracles, such as uh, God providing uh, money for, you know, a, a bill. Uh, but, you know, it was a small bill that, that could have been an accident. Or um, God makes something work out so that you can get a ride to church when nobody was going to be able to pick you up. Well, that was just somebody being nice. It was just an accident. There's never an accident. God does everything on purpose, even those little miracles that we might not chalk up to much. There's still a lot because God sets everything in play in the whole universe for these little things to happen, uh, for us to be able to go about our daily lives and follow his will. And, and all these little miracles that we see in our lives, a, a lot of times, again, we'll just let them go by the wayside unrecognized and we forget just how much that God is constantly doing in our lives. And I believe that the apostles were in the same place because they were exhausted, the miracles were expected, and I believe that their passion was ebbing. I believe their passion was ebbing. Again, in Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 33 through 34. It says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. I, I think this is a kind of a funny portion of scripture because it's like when, I, I don't know how many of you are like this, but a lot of times uh, at social events, I'll be like, you know, getting ready to, to leave. I'm, I'm ready to leave. I'm done talking to people. I'm ready to leave. And I, I start heading on my way out that door. And then there comes that one person that I don't mind talking to them. It's just that they're coming right as I'm walking out the door and they want to talk. And I feel like that might have been kind of what, what was going on here with these, these apostles is, you know, they're, they're leaving and Jesus is leaving. And then you have this bunch of people that start coming, running afoot and they want to, they want to, you know, be with Jesus. They want to experience a miracle because it wasn't commonplace for them. So they come running after Jesus and they're going to catch him right before he can leave. And in verse 34, it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The passion of Jesus is so clearly shown here in just this verse. His passion toward that crowd as his heart moved for them and he can't help but get out and to minister to these people. Now, if I'm the, the apostles at this point, I'm going to be like, well, what, what happened to us going on a break? What happened to a vacation? You know, the, these apostles, they're, they're human. They're just like the rest of us. And, and they're so tired that they began to lose their passion. They, they had become so tired and the, the miracles had become so expected that they began to, to lose their passion. They let their passion uh, begin to ebb. And they began to lose sight of the true mission that was at hand, that, that Jesus had called them for, to make them fishers of men. And likewise, we'll do the same thing. Where we'll, we'll, you know, um, we'll, we'll get tired, we'll get down, and, and the miracles become commonplace, all the little things that God does for us every day, and we'll begin to lose our passion. We'll begin to, to forget that we are called, first off, to be fishers of men. Uh, you know, yet, yes, we're, we're, called to, we're called to support our family. Yes, uh, we're, we're supposed to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We need that rest. Um, and, and there's all these commandments, and they are important. Um, but our, our most important commandment is, one, to love, to love God. That's our, our most important commandment. But two is to have passion for people, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. 
and to bring people in, to be fishers of men. Just like Jesus had called the disciples to do. He, he called his 12 apostles specifically and told them that he was going to make them fishers of men. And that moment that you receive Christ as your Savior and you, you dedicate your life to him, at that moment, now you become a fisher of men. As Paul puts it, you, you are debtor. You're a debtor to the gospel. You're a debtor to Jesus Christ. He paid the price for you on the cross. Now it's your reasonable service to go out and to preach the gospel to the world. Uh, you know, whether it be um, Saturday morning outreach breakfast. We even have incentive. We have breakfast. And it was great, by the way, this week. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Burchett, you guys do a great job with that breakfast. It was delicious. Um, and it made me nice and full and ready to go out and hang door hangers. And uh, that, that, is, that is our calling, though. That is um, a, right under loving God and obeying God. Uh, the next most important thing in our lives is going out and preaching the gospel to a lost and dying world. But you see, the, the disciples here, you can kind of see their passion um, as it's ebbing here. You know, Jesus, he, he asks them, uh, when, when you get um, to this miracle of the loaves, he, he says, okay, well, we got to feed these people because they're hungry. And I can't send them home like this because they'll faint. And they say, but with what? What do you want us to feed them with? Like, they, they started to give them some attitude, you know? And so they, they're like, well, Lord, you know, that, that's great that you want them fed. But one, we don't got the money to feed them. Uh, two, we don't got the resources to feed We don't have any bread. Uh, instead of saying, instead of saying, you know, all right, Jesus, yeah, we'll go ahead. We'll definitely, we'll, we'll do that. I know you're going to provide a miracle because you're God and you've provided miracles this whole time. Um, instead of that, they, they started to lose their passion for people. And now they're just focused on getting their rest. They don't, they don't want to deal with having to go out and pass out food to 5,000 people. That's a lot of work. They're tired now. They want to go take a rest. And you can see as their passion begins to ebb. In fact, if you look in, um, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses uh, 28 through 31. The Bible says, For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. This is, referring to the woman that had the issue of blood. And verse 29, And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee? And sayest thou, Who touched my clothes? I, I mean, the Jesus says, hey, who, who, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples, all they, all they can say is, there's people all over you, and you're worried about who touched you. Everybody's touching you right now. You're worried about who touched you? You know, they're, they're, they start to lose their passion, and they start to kind of get this attitude. And you can just kind of see it here. Um, the, the disciples, they, they give Jesus this attitude as he's asking them uh, a legitimate question because he has the passion for this lady. He has the passion for this lady. He, he, he wants to see her healed and he feels her touch him and he says, who, who is that? He wants to know who it is. And you know, we see later he, he, um, he congratulates her and tells her that her faith has made her whole. But you notice here these, these disciples, all they can say is like, seriously, you've got everybody all over you and you're worried about who touched you? They began to get this attitude um, that lacked passion. So we can see here in these passages kind of how the disciples had become hardened to the miracles of Jesus. They were tired. Uh, the disciples were exhausted. 
The miracles were expected, and so their passion was ebbing. Next, we can see not only were they hardened to the miracles, but they were hardened to the mandate of Jesus. Uh, so if we get back to our main text here, let's go ahead and turn back to Mark chapter 8. Now that I've got us all the way three chapters earlier. Mark chapter 8. And the hearts of the 12 disciples at this point have been sufficiently hardened to Jesus' miracles. Um, and, and here they are, sitting in the boat with Jesus, and now Jesus begins to minister to his apostles by way of a simple teaching, in the, you know, kind of in the form of a metaphor here. Um, and they, it went right over their heads. And so I want to take real quickly three observations from his interaction here uh, between you know, the apostles and Jesus and how they had become hardened to his mandate. So in verses uh, 2 through 5 of chapter 8, I'll read it real quick. It says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far off. Or sorry, came from far. And his disciples answered him, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said seven. Alright, so, I, you see here, first, the disciples' doubting spirit. I believe that part of the reason for the disciples' hearts to grow hard is that they had what seems to be very short memory. I mean, just, just a, two chapters earlier, we see Jesus feed the 5,000, and now he, he's going to feed 4,000, and they had completely forgotten what had happened just few verses earlier when when Jesus takes takes this bread he takes the five loaves of bread and he takes the fishes and he tears it out into 12 baskets and it's more than enough to feed the multitudes and they have plenty of food left over and now you have the disciples in this same situation where Jesus says well we can't send these people away hungry and the disciples again they say well what do you want us to do about it I you know we don't have any food we don't have money for food and I can almost hear kind of the disappointment in his voice when he says, how many loaves have ye? You know, what, how many loaves do we have? We're going to have to go through this whole process again. I'll break the loaves. You'll hand it out to the 4,000 people, um, and they'll go home full. You know, I'd say that a good indicator here of a hard heart can often be a lack in faith in the Almighty God. You know, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, and it's a foolish man who who begins to doubt the ability of the Almighty God. I'm not saying by any means here that the apostles denied God. They surely didn't. Um, in fact, we'll talk about that later, how they recognized that Jesus was God and the Messiah. But uh, the verse, again, kind of speaks to the lack of faith. Uh, the fool, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Uh, it's only a foolish man who would deny the power or, or, or not, not realize the power of the Almighty God. I mean, surely if he can create the universe and have us all sitting in this congregation today, he must be the Almighty God. And I believe that kind of the first good indicator of a hard heart is that lack of faith, that, that lack of believing that God can still perform miracles. You know, a lot of times we, we'll, we'll chalk it up to saying, oh, you know, God doesn't really perform those kinds of miracles today. I don't, I don't know what, what you may be praying for or asking for, but let me tell you something. God still performs miracles. It may not be what you're looking for, and a lot of times it's not going to be because God's ways are, are better than our ways, and he's got a different plan, but he's going he's gonna to provide, uh, and that's a miracle 
in and of itself is the fact that he provides for us. And a lot of times he will, he'll answer those specific prayers. You know, the Bible says that uh, whatsoever you ask, believing you shall receive. Uh, now, it does talk about, you know, um, you ask and you receive, not because you ask amiss. Uh, that's a different story. But nonetheless, the Bible talks greatly about how the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A lot of times we lose sight of the fact that we don't just serve someone who you know, saved us from an eternity in hell, which is reason enough to serve him, don't get me wrong, but also he wants to provide for us day by day, and he wants to walk with us and have that relationship with us, and he still performs miracles today, but oftentimes we'll let our doubting spirit get in the way of that. Next we notice that the disciples, we notice their wrong suspicion. In verses 15 through 16, it says, And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. So Jesus, he, 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 you know, he brings this uh, little uh, this moment of wisdom to them, and he, he's teaching them. He's trying to give them this legitimate lesson on you know, avoiding this poison that could seep in and ruin them. And all they can think about is, well, a, fir- a few verses earlier, it talks about how, um, let's see, a few verses earlier, I don't know which verse, but it talks about how they had forgotten to bring bread on the ship. And so Jesus mentions leaven, and they go, oh, no. Surely he's calling us out because we forgot to bring the bread on the ship. We forgot to bring the bread on the ship. It's like when your parents make that, uh, you know, when when you're younger and they're like, well, I need you to do the dishes. And you forget to do the dishes, right? And so you go to bed because you forgot to do the dishes. And then the next day you're like, mom, I'm hungry. I need cereal. And mom says, well, that's great. I would definitely make you cereal right now, except... I don't have any clean dishes to do that with. And they thought that Jesus was doing the same thing here. They thought that he was making that passive-aggressive, not-so-passive, a little more aggressive swipe at them, saying, you guys forgot the bread. But that's not what's happening here. That's not what's happening here. Instead, he's trying to have this, this pure moment of, uh, uh, of teaching them. And they say that, and Jesus just goes, what? He, he's astounded. He's astounded almost that they, would even, that they would even think that. You look in the next verse there, it says, And Jesus, when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not yet? Neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? How is it that ye do not understand? I don't need your bread. It's not about the bread. I don't know why you guys are so focused on the bread this whole time. Throughout, throughout this whole book, and you see these different miracles that Jesus is trying to show them that he's the Messiah and that he's the true son of God and that he's there to seek and to save the lost and that he's on a mission. He's supposed to be about his father's business and he's called them to be fishers of men. But they're so focused this whole time 
on the bread. You see it in the past miracles. You see it in this miracle. Uh, you see how the disciples can never get their focus right. They're always focused on something else. So Jesus says to them, he, he goes, no, it's not about the bread. It was never about the bread. Why are you guys always so focused on the bread? And a lot of times, a lot of times we'll get the same exact way. We'll get the same exact way where, you know, Jesus, Jesus will point us in a certain direction or, 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 you know, we'll feel the Holy Spirit pointing us in a certain direction. Uh, we'll, we'll feel the Holy Spirit uh, tugging our heartstrings to do something and we'll say, uh, uh, but Lord, you know, I, I don't have the resources for that. You know, uh, Lord, why would you have me, why would you have me to commit my life to do this? I don't have any talents to do that, Lord. Or Lord, why would you have me uh, do this with my life? Because I have, I have uh, all this ability to do that other thing so great for you lord why would you have me to do this and we forget that god's ways are higher than ours you know uh, something interesting and I, I believe pastors said this from the pulpit um, on multiple occasions and i'm not sure if um i'm not sure if you're where this quote comes from or not but uh what i've heard pastors say on multiple occasions is that god call doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the call God qualifies the call. God may be pointing you in a certain direction with your life, whatever that may be. He be, may be pointing you to, to, to give X amount for the Glencoe Project. I don't know what it is that God has in store for you or that the Holy Spirit has been tugging on your heartstrings about, but whatever it is, you may be thinking to yourself, well, Lord, there, there's no way that I can do that. Lord, I don't have the money for that. Or Lord, I don't have the talent for that. Or Lord, I just don't have the time for that. And you know what? It, all these same feelings, the apostles, I'm sure, would have felt, well, Lord, I, I don't have the time for that. It says they were busy. Lord, we don't have the money for that. We don't have money for bread. Uh, uh, Lord, we don't have the talents for that. Uh, no matter what, whether we have the, the abilities or not, God is going to qualify the call. God, uh, God, God is not going to lead you where he can't keep you. Um, Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. God, God is going to be with us the whole way. He will not leave you nor forsake you. If God's leading you in a certain direction, he surely is going to give you the ability to do it. Uh, he may not give it to you right away. He may make you work for it, whatever it may be. And surely it's not going to be your ability. It's going to be the ability that he gives to you. It's not going to be of your own. We notice here in this rebuke from Jesus that he makes it very clear to the disciples that it's not about the bread, that it was never about the bread. He, he, him being God, he was able to read their minds and I'm sure was appalled. And he, he rebukes them and says, no guys, you're, you're missing the message here. You're missing the message. So those are some pretty good indicators of of a hard heart. And we see that the Pharisees, they were hardened to the miracles of Jesus. They were hardened to the mandate of Jesus. And a lot of times we, we all get in that same kind of place. But I want to notice now real quickly, three steps to overcoming a hard heart. Three steps to overcoming a hard heart. And I mean four steps. I don't know why I wrote three on my outline, but I mean four steps to overcoming a hard heart. The first is to recognize that you have a problem. The first step in solving any problem is recognizing, number one, that you have the problem. Now, we notice here that um, they, they, they don't really come to this recognition on their own because Jesus does rebuke them, and, you know, he tells them that they have a problem. Nonetheless, they do come to this realization, um, through rebuke in this case, that they have an issue, that their hearts have been hardened. Um, 
You know, they, they, God, Jesus tells them, he, he says, you know, how is it that you do not understand? Have you yet hardened your hearts? So the first step in solving that problem is realizing that you have that problem. And number two is to recognize who you serve. Number one, you've got to recognize the problem. Number two, you've got to recognize who you serve. In verses 27 through 29, I'll read it real quick. It says, and Jesus went out. And his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. This is one of very few moments where Peter didn't need to stick his foot back into his mouth because he said something that was, that was, that was beautiful and it was, it was great. He recognized there that Jesus was the Christ. He recognized the deity of God there, of Jesus, that he was the Messiah. He was the one true son of God come down to save us from our sins. Now, later on in that passage, he would go to do something where, um, you know, Jesus would rebuke him. He'd say, get thee behind me, Satan. Um, but for that moment there, we have Peter, he, he recognizes, he recognizes that he is serving the Christ. You know, the issue with uh, certain religions of this world and, you know, some sects of uh, Christianity um, is that they don't recognize the deity of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you look at, uh, the first one that always comes to my mind is Islam. Um, I, that's not a, a sect of Christianity, but it is another world religion, and they don't recognize uh, the deity of Jesus. They say that he was a prophet, that he was a good man, but they don't recognize his deity. And a lot of times, we'll forget that we serve the Almighty God. We serve the one true God. In this case, Peter realizes that, you know, he's serving Jesus, who, who is the Son of God, the Son of the Almighty God. If we have a problem in our lives or if we have a hard heart, number one is recognizing that we have that issue. Number two is remembering that we serve the Almighty God and there is no problem or no, no heart issue of ours that is too big for him to solve. And so one, we must recognize that we have an issue. Two, we must recognize just who it is that we serve. And that is we serve the King of Kings, the one true Almighty God. Number three, we have to recognize the necessary sacrifice on your life. If you have a hard heart, oftentimes it's, it's going to be because you have a bad attitude. Because, you know, well, in this case for the disciples, they were tired. Um, you know, the miracles were expected and they lost their passion. And uh, oftentimes for us, it's similar that we're tired and we've kind of lost our passion. And we start to take for granted the things that Jesus is doing for us. But we have to recognize the necessary sacrifice on our life if we're going to get that attitude adjustment. Uh, if we have a hard heart, it's a matter of getting that attitude adjustment. And to, to do that, we've got to recognize that we're not called to an easy cush life. Um, the Christian life is going to be hard. You know, you read in verses uh, 34 through 38, I'll read it real quick. It says, and when he, had called the, uh, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life and shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. 
For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. <clears throat> so, or, or sorry, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. I skipped over that part. It's important though, because what Jesus is saying there is that those who are not willing to sacrifice in this life, those who are not willing to, uh, to, to surrender their life solely to me, and those who are ashamed of me during this life, in the next life, I'm going to be ashamed of them. Yeah, I mean, if you give your life to Jesus and accept him as personal Savior, there is no doubt that you will go to heaven if you have truly accepted him as Savior. That, that's done. That's sealed. The Holy Spirit is, has put that seal on you, and you are heaven-bound at that point. But when we get to heaven, I don't know about the rest of you, but I, I surely I do want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we see here that, you know, Jesus kind of alludes to if we are ashamed of him on this earth, then I think there's a really good chance that when we go to heaven, he's going to be ashamed of us. He's, you know, well, glad you made it to heaven. Go get your room. You know, go your mansion's down, down on Cherry Lane and Gold Street. I don't know. Uh, but the, the, point, the point being that we're, we're called to live our life completely sold out to God. The, the wishy-washy, what is promoted today through, uh, you know, many of these secularist uh, movements within uh, these, these hyper-grace churches, these new evangelicals, many of these movements which, which push, well, you know, we live in the age of grace, and there's not, you know, we do, we live in the age of grace, and praise the Lord for it. I sure am thankful, but that still means that we're called to live our lives day by day, sold out completely for Him. It says, you know, for what shall profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Uh, he also says, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Uh, saying that, you know, if we live for the now, if we live for our life on this earth, then surely, surely heaven's not going to be what it, what it could be. And those who live on this earth and never come to that saving knowledge of Jesus, and they live purely for the enjoyment of this, of this world and what it can offer, one, they'll be very disappointed, and two, when they get to heaven, well, when, when they die, they won't go to heaven. They'll go to hell. They'll spend an eternity in hell. They'll, they'll be separated eternally from God. So one, you've got to recognize that you have a problem. Two, you've got to recognize who you serve. Three, you've got to recognize that there is a necessary sacrifice to be made in this life. You know, Paul said, I am debtor. All of us today are debtor if we've accepted Christ as Savior. Uh, Paul lived his life just like he was exactly that, like he was a debtor. You know, he says that he was... Uh, he, he was a prisoner of hope. I, I, I think that's a song, actually. But prisoner of hope. We're all prisoners of hope today. You know, we're, we're, we're called to live this life, and, and we're called to give our whole lives completely to the cause of Christ. Not just, you know, well, checking off the boxes every day, but living each day that we'll get to heaven and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So, lastly you got to recognize the reward of following Christ. The reward of following Christ. And I just kind of alluded to this. But the last step in overcoming a hard heart is realizing that what we do here on this earth, if we're living a life for God, it's not in vain. And none of it's in vain. In fact, 
Mark 10, Mark 10, and I'm going to read verses uh, 27 through 31. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it real quick. It says, And Jesus looking, uh, Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. Peter says, Lord, we've left our whole lives behind. We've forsaken everything to come with you and to be fishers of men. And Jesus now says, uh, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you that there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold, a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. In the world to come eternal life. Not only will God bless us in this life if we're willing to completely submit to him. And I'm not just saying go to the Sunday morning service every week. I'm not saying, you know, read your Bible for 10 minutes in the morning because you know you're supposed to. Uh, You know, if if you're diligently seeking God in everything that you do, praying to him, you know, um, we're we're, we're to be constantly praying, uh, you know, pray without ceasing. Uh, if we're diligently seeking him at all times in our life, then surely he's going to bless us not only in this life, but in the life to come. Well, one, because we'll get to be in heaven, and I'm sure that we'll be rejoicing over that. And two, we know that uh, there's going to be rewards in heaven. There's going to be rewards, but we're going to be so overjoyed that we uh, cast those crowns right back at Jesus' feet. We're going to be happy to be sitting in the presence of God for the rest of eternity. So in conclusion... You know, if you're here today and you're like the apostles and you've allowed your heart to harden to God and to Jesus and to his provisions, to his grace and to his miracles and his powerful message of love and the moving of his Holy Spirit in your life, if you've allowed your heart to harden to that, remember that it's not about the bread in this life. It's not, it's not about what we can get or what we can gain. No, rather it's, it's about Jesus. It's about letting him, letting the Holy Spirit work in our hearts It's about living our lives to be like Jesus. It's about trying to grow that relationship with our God so that when we do get to heaven and when we all reach eternity, and I I, I pray that we'll all be on the same side of eternity, um, hopefully when we get there, Lord willing, we'll be able to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you're here tonight and, you know, maybe your life seems empty um, and, and not quite fulfilled, and you've been chasing peace and rest and happiness in this world where none of those things can really truly be found, well, you're not going to find it here. Because, again, it's, it's, not about, it's not about this world. It's not about this world. It's not about what you can find. It's about Jesus. And He is the only place that you're going to be able to find your fulfillment. So thank you so much for your attention. And Pastor. All right. That was really good because, you know, it is so easy for us to really take, take for granted the things that God has done for us. You know what these disciples needed? They were so in awe of the very first miracle that they ever saw, which was just the catch of the fishes. And they were so surprised and so in awe of that. And God essentially told them, Jesus essentially told them, hey, uh, you haven't seen anything yet. 
But then through the process of time, they started to get hardened. And I think this is a, uh, this happens to all of us. The longer you're saved, the more you see things and the more you begin to write things off. I think the song that we sing, Count Your Blessings, is a great song because it is a reminder of us that we ought to just look at every day and count all the blessings throughout that day so we don't just take the simple things for granted. What these apostles needed was revival in their lives. And as we go into this next week, listen, it's not just, oh man, it's another, it's another week where we have to be at church every single night. No, it's necessary. It's a time that, that we need revived. And uh, um, Alec gave us a great outline for approaching this next week. And that is that, you know, it's so easy for us to allow our hearts to get hardened. Um, and as we go into this revival, admit, admit that, boy, there's a, a potential problem for each of us when it comes to hardening our hearts. And, and then, of course, recognize that Jesus, he is the prince. He deserves our... Um, he deserves for us to be there every night if we can be. And I know that uh, for, uh, for some of us, that's just an impossibility with work and everything. But I do think we ought to make every effort to be in all the services. He is the prince. Acknowledge that there's a price when it comes to serving God. And it is a small price to be in all the services of a revival when you consider what Jesus did for us. And then count on the prize at the end. Um, and count those blessings. Consider all the things that God has done for us. Don't take for granted the fact that we have such a wonderful church. God, it could be taken away in an instant. And thank God for what he has done. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to go ahead and, and have a time of invitation. You know, this also, I believe, is a good reason that so many second-generation Christians or third-generation Christians get out of church because of all the things that the, that the apostles were going through. Just taking things for granted. Never, never take for granted the blessings that God has bestowed upon you, on your family, on your church, on your individual person. My, the salvation, if that was all we got... That would be worth serving Jesus the rest of our lives for. If all we had got was the forgiveness of sins and salvation in a home in heaven. But we know there's so much more. Jesus says, not only do I give them life, he says, I give them life more abundantly. This life here, we get to see blessings and count on those blessings. Let's go ahead and sing a verse of invitation.